Welcome to the Littler Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. Conversations related to the human resource challenges of an ever-evolving workforce. Hello, my name is Cindy Ann Thomas. I am a principal with Littler and a co-chair of our firm's EEO and Diversity and Inclusion Practice Group. I partner with our clients in the diversity and inclusion space with a focus on advising on, as well as developing and providing legally compliant training and education initiatives. Well, the personal and psychological impact caused by the coronavirus pandemic that is currently rocking the globe is staggering. And as we approach the end of the second quarter, it is clear that the unprecedented impact on businesses is also proving to be an epic upset. Most of us have been experiencing in some way firsthand the economic tumult that this virus has ushered in, and to weather the downturn, companies in virtually every industry across the board and around the world have been implementing everything from terminations to furloughs. And the law firm industry, for the purposes of this podcast, is firmly in the mix. In recent weeks, Law firms have announced a variety of measures to respond to the crisis, including tiered pay cuts and deferred distribution plans, attorney sabbaticals, freezing bonuses and or merit increases, the suspension of 401k matching programs for the remainder of the year, the delayed onboarding of first-year associates, and abbreviated summer associate programs, just to name a few. And these changes clearly affect everyone, but there may be a unique concern for women and attorneys of color. Now, diversity in the legal profession has long endured a challenging journey. Since 2004, when Sarah Lee General Counsel Rick Palmore first sounded the alarm for a national call to action, pressing upon law firms and corporate legal departments to increase the numbers of women and minority attorneys to be hired and retained, there have been a number of wins and losses in this space. One of the most notable setbacks for many U.S. law firms occurred with the economic fallout and layoffs during the recession of 2008 and 9. Data published by the National Association for Law Placement suggests that attorneys of color and female attorneys may have been disproportionately impacted by those cuts. Today, most progressive law firms know that a meaningful commitment to diversity and inclusion is not merely a nice-to-have, but a business imperative. The task at hand for the current crisis, however, concerns the balancing act of making necessary fiscal changes without backsliding on our DNI efforts in the industry. To do that, and as usual, I have invited a couple of guests to explore this particular conversation, which I have dedicated to the new call to action in a COVID-19 era, the DNI challenge ahead for the legal industry. So let me introduce my first guest, my learned colleague, Michelle Perano-Taylor who practices out of our San Diego office, where she is the office managing shareholder. 
in addition to being a trusted advisor to clients across multiple industries and a seasoned employment litigator, she is actively involved in attorney recruitment and retention. Michelle, who is a regular speaker on empowering the next generation of female leaders and managing workplace diversity, is an active member of Littler's Diversity and Inclusion Council, and she is the co-chair of Réunion, Littler's affinity group that provides support and development for its Latinx attorneys. Michelle, thanks for joining me today. It's a true pleasure to be here with you, Cindy Ann. Michelle, against this backdrop that I have just outlined, what does this latest crisis mean for DNI efforts, specifically in our industry, from where you sit? I mean, will our hard-won DNI gains over the past decade or so, again, after the Great Recession of 2009, become a casualty of war, so to speak? Well, I sum it up in one word, and that is opportunity particularly for businesses and law firms that are focused on forward thinking and post-pandemic planning. I recognize that coronavirus and what we are experiencing, one, is unprecedented, and two, is something that we are all getting through together. We're hearing that in the media. We're seeing that in advertisement, and there's really a truth to that. This is not a state-by-state state issue. It is a global issue. And so mm -hmm. we are really moving into a new era of not only, obviously, healthcare management and how we do business, but also the legal industry is going to be completely different. And I certainly think that this is a real opportunity for law firms to look at how they are planning for the future. What is it that you're doing or what is it the law firm is doing to make sure that any future planning includes a focus on diverse perspectives, on diverse population of lawyers, and a diverse way of thinking. So that's really how I see this. I think certainly this is going to impact lawyers of all shapes and sizes, if you will, mm -hmm. and certainly DNI initiatives that have just done such a phenomenal job going forward, there are financial burdens that are coming with what we're seeing. And so as a result, programming and efforts that have been supported and funded with the goal to advance DNI efforts are taking a hit, just like lawyers are, are seeing pay cuts and certainly you know budgetary constraints. But I really think that DNI is beyond that, and so I think there's a real opportunity here to look at how we can plan to use what's happening now to build the next generation of lawyer. And sure. I think DNI needs to be included in that analysis. Let's talk numbers for a moment, and I don't like math, Michelle. I'm going to <laughs> wade into some numerical waters for a moment. With such small percentages of racial diversity in certain markets, let's say an office loses 10 attorneys out of 50 due to layoffs, or at the end of the crisis, 
due to the way in which they managed or mismanaged their response to the crisis. If 20% of those 10 attorneys are attorneys of color, but that office only had six attorneys of color to begin with, they've lost one-third of that demographic right there. It's, it's these kinds of numbers that I'm talking about when, when we think about the dramatically disproportionate effects of the fallout when, when we're balancing the economic realities. And I'm wondering if you can speak to how firms can balance those two realities. Well, I think key here, Cindy Ann, is communication about what the thinking was in making the decisions that had, have to be made. I think certainly approaching any decision in a way that is fair and really a shared burden, if you will, across the law firm. I think that's really important to make sure that all lawyers, and particularly lawyers of diverse backgrounds that may be either directly impacted or have colleagues that are, that are impacted, ensuring that they have a full understanding and appreciation of the thought process that was involved in making those decisions. Look, it's not easy to receive the message, but I think if you have an understanding of the why behind the message, I think that goes really far, particularly for law firms that have lawyers spread out across the country. And actually now, messages that are being delivered and received in remote environments. So there's that added layer that we have going on here. So I think communication is key. I also think it's a real, again, going back to that word of opportunity, for law firms to ensure that those that are making these decisions have that diverse perspective in mind. Who is involved in that decision-making process? Mm -hmm. Who is at the table when that decision is being made? And, and, and so to ensure that the whole of what is happening is fully appreciated, I think it's critical that law firms have individuals that are focused and authentic about what this is going to look like after we make these decisions and roll out these decisions, that those individuals are at the table. Michelle, what does sharing the burden look like? I want to unpack that a little bit. Sure. So I, I think that that certainly goes beyond you know, you've got labor costs, but you also have to look at expenditures. Where, where are cost-cutting measures hitting? We want to make sure that we're not just first thing cutting out D&I efforts. Are there tenant improvement budgets, entertainment budgets, travel mm -hmm. budgets, perhaps? Making sure you're looking at your, your planning during this period of time from a, a holistic perspective. How does everything fit together, and how is the burden really shared across different efforts and initiatives that a firm invests in? Very important. Yes. I want to switch gears for a moment. We have been driven apart from one another for a couple of months in the interest of sheer survival with our shelter-in-place laws and policies across the country. And while I appreciate that meaningful affinity and inclusion is not just about physical contact, 
what can firm leadership be doing to fortify these tested bonds right now, especially since we aren't seeing each other in the hallways or meeting for coffee or cocktails or seeing one another at firm business meetings? I mean, what extra and, and truly intentional steps should firms be taking to ensure that attorneys in these smaller, potentially uh, more marginalized populations are not feeling isolated or disconnected? Well, I think the first thing that law firms can do is make sure that they're listening, listening mm -hmm. to the needs and looking out for areas of opportunity on where folks are needing help. Again, right. unprecedented times. I'm homeschooling a six-year-old and a 10-year-old. It's, it's a whole new world and, 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 mm -hmm. and you know, manage a, an office from my remote office at home. And so I recognize that I have certain things that are, are not norm, but I need to make sure that I understand what the personal situations of each of my team members look like and also understand that I have to have a certain level of flexibility right now that just given the situation is important and necessary. I think the other thing that law firms can do, I call it taking it back to basics, looking at what stated goals, both cultural goals and also goals through their affinity groups, what those goals actually communicate. And I think a lot of those goals include making sure we are creating opportunities for members of our affinity groups, that we are creating a network. And so how can you use this time to do that? And that can include perhaps more frequent touch points, whether that be through a mentorship program that you have, whether that be through affinity groups and actually ramping up or reshaping meetings that take place, and, and really using that program, those programs, the ERG programs, affinity groups that you have as a mechanism to create those touch points for individuals in those particular affinity groups. So for example, Reunion, the affinity group uh, for the firm that is focused on Latinx attorneys providing support mm -hmm. and, and an opportunity for, for growth for those lawyers, we're actually meeting a little bit more frequently. We usually meet at least once a quarter. We have a summit where we all meet up every other year. We were actually scheduled to all meet up this year in the summer. Mm -hmm. Obviously, everyone's health is a priority. And so that has been postponed, but it's been postponed until next year. Okay. That does not mean that the planning and the focus of what we're doing in Reunion doesn't get recognized. And, right. and in, right. in reality, right now is when we're having those conversations with members of Reunion on how can you look at your professional growth and your career and how is that going to look in the next five years? Because obviously, you know, we, we have been, in some instincts, ERs to, to workplaces. And so the laws around, you know, employment, employment laws are going to change, are changing. Right. And so it's a real opportunity for lawyers of diverse backgrounds to be able to hone in on that and focus on what does their career look like in the future. 
So I see this as a real opportunity to provide support and mentorship for lawyers, many of whom are the, the first in their family, for example, to go to law school and be in this profession on how they should look at their career long term, how it's not about what's going on now, but really how they can use that as an opportunity to develop their practice with five and 10 year goals in mind. Sure. I'm going to switch gears again on you. Hang with me. I want to address no problem. Uh, <laughs> an area that, as you know, Michelle, is, is, a, is a big part of my practice, and that's the issue of invisibility and the impact on performance. Now, available work and billable hours are scarce in some areas of our industry, perhaps not as much in areas like bankruptcy or even employment practices, but even if the hours are there, everyone in our industry still has to deal with issues of slow or non-paying clients as a result of their new economic realities, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we know that who gets called upon by shareholders or partners is often tied to who you feel comfortable with. We are consciously, as human beings, drawn to people that we feel comfortable with. Implicit bias, right? And worse yet, explicit bias is real. And that can impact performance for associates by year's end. And, and these have real ramifications for compensation and, and bonuses and elevation decisions. I think now more than ever, it's mission critical for law firm management to really have an eye on that fact because it's game day. We are focused on this when things are going as planned, but what law firms do in this area of ensuring that no one gets left behind, if you will, um, is really going to be measured by what takes place during crisis. And that's sure. what we have going on here. Exactly. And let me say this, Michelle. These realities can be tough enough when you interact with and you see your colleagues in a traditional office setting, at least occasionally. But where so many of us are working from home as a result of our new virtual reality, members of an organization who may have already been a bit invisible, as a result of the way that we naturally connect to our in-group members and disconnect from out-group members, those members are potentially becoming doubly invisible as a result of this virus. No, I, I completely recognize that, and I think that's really where law firm leadership is key. Mm -hmm. Really honing sure. in on those folks that can become invisible. And really, I think this is also an opportunity to ensure that you know your team. You know, I think we know each other, many of us know each other from an office setting, and we're mindful of people's privacy and what they have going on at home, you know, for, for multiple reasons. But I really think right now that you listen to individuals and have those touch points and hear what they have going on, their personal stories, because we all have our own personal struggles. And we have to approach this not from what's going on in our home, but to be open to listening to what's going on in individual homes. 
because everyone is their own world right now. And having some insight into that aspect, I think, is important now more than ever. Right. And they have to do more than listen if we're going to be intentional about reaching out to potentially isolated groups we may have to do more than listen, right? I mean, we may have to seek them out. Absolutely. No, I think that that's really important. Don't just set the time on someone's calendar or don't just shoot the email to say, you know, hey, I hope all is okay. Take right. that extra step right now to ensure that you are actually communicating with your team. I want to look at bias from another angle. Coronavirus is already and will continue to unleash certain biases with decision makers since, again, we are all human and we are all susceptible to biases as the data has borne out, and specifically vulnerable. And this issue really transcends industry. Our older workers, pregnant workers, individuals with health issues or those who are differently abled as discussed in last month's podcast, Asian American workers. Can you provide some guidelines for organizations for managing those biases as they continue to make employment and rehiring decisions over the course of the next year? Well, I think here it's important for your team to understand that even though we are away from the office, those rules of respect in the workplace, you know, policies and practices about the culture that you are as a law firm apply even mm -hmm. while at home. Can't be out of sight, um, out of mind. <laughs> absolutely not. And I think that that takes some highlighting because a lot of individuals are now two months in, essentially, of working in a different environment, perhaps not with the same suit jacket that we did before, but nonetheless, those rules still apply. And so, you know, I think, I call it getting back to basics, but I think it's about making sure that your foundation is there and making sure that you're following those practices and policies that you have highlighted and provided to your team before COVID-19 hit, and really being intentional about thinking about those goals and mission statements that you've put forth. When you are right. making decisions on how to respond, not only when it comes to inappropriate situations, and also in terms of what you're doing on a go-forward basis when you are thinking about who it is you're bringing back and, um, and putting thought into that piece of it. Have those basics in mind because that will help guide in challenging times. And we have to make sure that we guard against our paternalistic instincts when thinking about who should not be back in the workplace right now and the implications oh, from an EEO perspective. Absolutely. I'm switching gears again, Michelle. No problem. You may, <laughs> you may have heard when the chair of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, commented that just a few months ago, the U.S. labor market was the best ever for minorities, but that now due to COVID-19, the unemployment rate 
has been much higher for people of color in the United States and certainly growing at a much faster pace than it has for white Americans. We have seen how members of black and brown communities are among the first to lose their jobs as stay-at-home orders have shuttered restaurants, movie theaters, retailers, and lots of other businesses in lower sector categories where working from home simply is not an option. Comment, if you could, Michelle, on the potential effect of this reality with respect to attorneys of color in our industry. I mean, clearly, law firm members may have the privilege of working remotely as a result of our educational and socioeconomic status, but just looking at this data holistically, what are your thoughts and the impact of attorneys of color in our industry? Well, in the end, I think that's important in terms of looking at the the lawyer as a whole mm -hmm. and really the impact of what we have going on here for everyone. It may be at a higher rate in terms of maybe the lawyer is not personally effective, but they may have family members or mm -hmm. friends perhaps disproportionately that are affected. So that's something to consider. And I think it's important for law firms and, and law firm leaders to consider the what I note as the situational aspect of, Absolutely. of their we workforce. Can't, we can't be myopic. We have to think cross socioeconomically when we think of what our own members and those groups could be going through as a result of their immediate circles and those absolutely. underserved and under-tested communities. No, no, absolutely. And I think that's really where conversation is important, making right. sure that we are talking to our team. We can't presume. I think that that's the first thing. We can't presume anything about who is affected and who is not affected. Exactly. Um, so exactly. now more than ever, it's important that, one, that leaders are involved in talking to their team members to see really what is happening. How are they doing? But really beyond how are they doing? How is this impacting who they are as a lawyer and, and as, you know, in their practice? And two, I think it's also important to ensure that visibility into management level decisions are made available to everyone. So not just the shareholders or the partners of a, of a law firm, but that they're made available to all attorneys and staff members and the entire team as a whole. Because I think that visibility also helps lawyers feel comfortable maybe being more open about their own situation. Michelle, since you and I first began exploring some of the issues associated with the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the legal industry's diversity efforts, our country has experienced a fortnight of social unrest as a result of George Floyd's murder at the hands of Minneapolis police officers. Comment, if you will, on how the events that we have seen in the past couple of weeks have added yet another layer of complexity to this conversation with respect to the challenge of retaining attorneys of color in this era. 
West Indian, there's no question, particularly in a remote environment during an already heightened sense of uncertainty, that this is just going to add another layer of complexity to the issues we've been discussing. Putting on a brave face and marching forward is likely going to be far more complex for lawyers who may be directly impacted by the racial crisis issues that we're seeing across the country right now. And certainly intertwined with the pandemic, we have seen mm -hmm. a disproportionate impact on certain communities. Um, and here, this is another layer of crisis that is being magnified that certainly is, is important and critical to focus on, but can have an impact on certain folks in a larger degree. Isn't the current spotlight, Michelle, on police brutality just another issue that is weighing heavily on the minds, certainly on everybody's minds, but for the purposes of, of our discussion, on the minds of black attorneys as they watch to see how law firm leaders are or are not responding to their needs during an already difficult period. I, I think in the end, um, you know, in the words of, of Dr. King, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. I think it's important to really look at what we have done and, uh, you know, as a law firm community, at law for, as law firms across the country, and where we can do better. And I think right now, really having authentic conversations about really challenging issues, and these are hard issues that can be quite uncomfortable, you know, to have discussions. And, and candidly, I've had a lot of uncomfortable moments in my professional career. Cindy Ann, I, I suspect you have too. But I think the reality is we have to have those uncomfortable conversations, not only with our lawyers, but also as leadership in law firms. We need to look inward. And Michelle, the fallout from the social unrest that we have been experiencing deserves an entire podcast unto itself, and there will be. But just one other follow-up question on this issue and for this particular program. Look, we have essentially been under a stay-at-home or a safer-at-home work order for the better part of the last three months. So the social isolation that you and I have been discussing and that many attorneys of color have been experiencing is already high. And since the events in the wake of Mr. Floyd's murder have shaken millions of black people to their core, including black attorneys, what do law firm leaders need to do to make sure that they are not further isolated in this unprecedented time? I think they need to listen. I think they need to listen to the diverse lawyers in their firm um, and particularly the black lawyers in their firm to see how they can do better. What opportunities are there here for a real conversation about allyship, an authentic allyship? Michelle, forgive me, because when you speak about authentic, I just have to add this critical point about what authenticity looks and sounds like. Authentic outreach 
has to do with a phone call from a law firm leader that does not come as a sudden surprise to the black attorney who has previously been overlooked or microaggressed by that same person before Mr. Floyd was murdered. It is a phone call from a law firm leader that will continue long after this current wave of social activism dies down. It is the question, is there anything I can do? But more importantly, it is the willingness to act on the responses that we might hear. I, I just felt the need to certainly interject because you are so right when you talk about the issue of authenticity. But I, I needed to add some color commentary to what that concept looks like right now. Agreed. And I, and I think that goes with the word authentic in that we want to make sure that it is not just this moment in time, but it is yes. far beyond that. Yes. Now, as I said, we will be doing a much deeper dive in weeks to come on this. We have no choice. Let's talk a little bit about wellness, if you will. Now, regardless of the patchwork of mandates to reopen businesses, most attorneys will probably be operating from our home offices for the next few months. Being sheltered in place as a new industry standard for the foreseeable future is the safest bet for staying out of COVID-19's crosshairs. But there are some stir-crazy costs associated with this, right, Michelle? Yes, there are. I mean, can you, <laughs> can you speak to that a little bit? Because specifically, with respect to female attorneys, and this is not to say that stir-crazy does not transcend gender. It's just that it is a fact, it is still a fact that women are still disproportionately tagged with the bulk of domestic responsibilities. So the stress factor might be particularly intense because our work that we have to get done at home literally never stops. We now work from home. We are still doing things related to domestic tasks. We perhaps are tasked disproportionately with the homeschooling component for those of us who have children. Formerly mundane tasks, I will, I will say this just on a personal note. That formerly mundane task of grocery shopping feels like absolute war now every day. When you go in knowing that you can't stockpile certain items that we used to take for granted, that somebody is going to wrestle, you know, three pounds of meat away from you at the register because the allotment now might be two pounds depending on the grocery store that you go to. I mean, things, things like this just kind of add to this stress that we are going through in this crisis, if you will, and the balancing act that perhaps women are navigating and trying to conquer just feels like it perhaps got a little less balanced as a result of this pandemic. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right in terms of what we're seeing at home, at home looks a lot different these days. Um, mm -hmm. And certainly, um, we're spending a lot more time. Things are taking a lot longer. We're stepping into the shoes of teachers. I, you know, I mm -hmm. have now a newfound further respect uh, for mm -hmm. all of our teachers across the country because I'm now in their shoes, somewhat. 
Right. And so I think that we should really focus on being supportive of one another in the situation. I think we should also be open to showing the chaos in our own home, uh, for yes. example, and highlighting perhaps some of those imperfections. And I would call it a new norm. I mm -hmm. mean, for example, we have frequent meetings with our office. I had an all-attorney meeting the other day. Um, I had my six-year-old, Olivia, kick off the meeting and welcome everyone. <laughs> I think it's important to yes. not only for our for our, you know, our lawyers to to see what's going on in our own home, but also for you know, the next generation of future lawyers. I mean, I may right. have a lawyer in training here in, in with Olivia. And so I think I think look at it in that way of where we're we're all trying to get through this everyone's situation is going to be a little bit different. So there are stressors and additional uh, factors that go into play when you know, folks have children at home. But there are also very similar stressors that come with being isolated from people. Sure. And I think that that really is important, that we're looking at the individual situation now more than ever because it's hard all around. Whether you have kids, you don't have kids. Whether you, you know, whether you're, you've got you're a you're a single parent or you you've got a partner who is, you know, fifty fifty with you. In some cases, in my home, it's you know seventy my partner, thirty me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that 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 is really important right now to recognize that and to have those conversations with again your team members so that you know where limitations are and to have that flexibility within those, within those limitations. And Michelle, I think it's fair to say that we in the industry are a little notorious for not liking to ask for help. And we need to make sure that we communicate and make our members feel safe in, in knowing that it is okay to look for the support systems that we may need to ensure our respective states of wellness. No, I think that's right, Cindy Ann, and that includes making sure that you are a resource and that you highlight resources that may be available through EAP systems, stress mm -hmm. management programs. Now more than ever is the time to highlight that because it's okay to need help. Yes, and let me just say this because I'd hate to be accused of exhibiting bias uh, myself, but whatever the gender, the single parent, mom or dad attorney who may be working from home and who is now also homeschooling their child or children are vulnerable as well. Just to be clear, we started the conversation with wellness uh, and woman, but I wanted to give a, a shout out to the, the single parent male uh, attorneys out there who are juggling not an easy act as well right now. No, I think this is all around, certainly parental care, really caregiving, right? Because it's, yes. it's not only children, it's our, our, our parents, our family members. Caregiving yes. responsibility is, it's, critical right now for yes. everyone. Yes. 
and I think that's where the the humanity um, that sometimes is is not necessarily something that's highlighted in the legal profession is something we can focus on and use in 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 navigating this and also in in forward planning in planning how our our industry looks going forward. Yes, Michelle, before. I open up the conversation to the next voice that I want to bring to it. Can you offer our listeners a few final strategies, again, from where you sit, for moving forward as we all work to get through this crisis together? Yeah, absolutely, Cindy Ann, and and really thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. I really think there are are really three takeaways here that fall under that umbrella of really a huge opportunity for our industry to look forward. What does this look like and what does our what do our teams and our our law firms look like post pandemic? So the first is really to be intentional. I think it's important that law firms are intentional about who is involved in their post-pandemic planning. That includes making sure you have diversity in thought, diversity mm-hmm. in age and background, and really looking at how are we going to train our future lawyers and who is going to be involved in that training. I also think it's important that law firms focus in on innovation, and again, that ties into the diversity of thought. Think outside the box. How can you make sure you are tapping into your talent, which may not necessarily be at the senior level of your organization? How are you tapping into that talent going forward? And then the third thing is to ensure that law firms are authentic in terms of what they're doing, particularly in the area of diversity and inclusion. Making sure that programming and efforts around diversity and inclusion are part of the fabric of the firm, and then they're not just being done in a response or in an effort to make profit. And I think that really is important because clients and the lawyers and the team members that are working with you, they see through that. And I think that authenticity is very, very critical now more than ever as we are now moving forward to a new era of practicing law. Agreed. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. It's always a pleasure. Cindy Ann, thank you so much. I would like to add another voice to the conversation at this point. To that end, I have invited Kiara Harlow, a Senior Recruiting Director of the Partners Group, to join us. Kiara Harlow is a South Carolina native who earned her undergraduate degree from Emory in Psychology and Educational Studies before going on to graduate from the University of South Carolina School of Law. She has been a legal recruiter for the past six years and specializes in lateral attorney and partner placements. In addition to her day job, she invests considerable time advocating for Title IV public school funding 
and mentoring underserved students. She chaired the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance Young Professionals Group, resulting in a 40% increase in diversity on the board and an overhaul of the membership funding structure to increase small, women-owned, and Black-owned business participation. Kiara's work aligns with her passions of law, business development, HR, and diversity and inclusion efforts. And she considers herself to be a gifted matchmaker in the legal industry. Kiara, welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's a joy to be here. I'm glad you could be. Let me start with this question for you, if I may, Kiara. As a recruiter with your legal industry clients who have a demonstrated commitment to DNI, what kinds of trends have you observed in post-crisis hiring phases, like after the 2008 meltdown and recession? I think the firms who have demonstrated a sincere commitment to DNI took the movement in the market as an opportunity to correct some of their previous hiring mistakes and to truly implement the DNI policies that they had espoused previously. You know, maybe mm -hmm. they had had someone like you come in and paid a considerable amount of money to give them a full rundown of what they needed to be doing and just really found it hard to implement, particularly in some of their southern state markets. And they took right. the opportunity after the 2008 crisis to branch out, to bring on recruiters who could scour the market nationally and sometimes internationally to bring them the, the diverse talent that they truly needed and the diverse perspectives mm -hmm. that come with diverse talent. Excellent. Now, as firms are in the throes of making some really tough fiscal decisions to weather our current crisis, any guidelines, Kara, from a recruitment point of view for firms to protect these hard-won diversity gains from previous years? My best advice is for firms to opt for salary cuts instead of layoffs and mm -hmm. to be flexible in how they offer some furloughed statuses or maybe taking part-time. There are a lot of diverse candidates right now, including women, people of color, people who are just generally parents who need a lot more flexibility right now considering the closure of schools and daycare centers. The 2008 recession was so devastating for the legal market and particularly for diverse candidates because we mostly come from backgrounds where we have to work for money and we don't have the cushion to be able to intern for free and things like that. This meant that a lot of diversity candidates went into document review and never returned to firm life, although many mm -hmm. desired to. And I would hate to see that happen again to our diverse talent. Interesting. Now, do you ever have any attorney candidates in the past decade that ask you how firms handled layoffs and cost-cutting measures during the last major crisis back in 2009 in determining whether or not they would be even interested in pursuing opportunities there? I've actually never been asked that before, but it is a very pertinent question, and people should certainly ask it going forward. Um, but I think it mm -hmm. has more to do with the seniority level of the candidates that I work with most often, um, which tend to be fairly junior and then very senior with just a little bit of the in-between. So law firms are often most interested in candidates with two to five years of experience or partners with 10 plus years. So the former group doesn't remember the recession well, and the latter is usually well aware of how the different firms fared and the ones that they most, are most interested in joining. 
but I'm sure that that comes they, into play for senior candidates. Mm -hmm. And they may they may ask now. Absolutely, for future and prices. they should. So, attorneys who have been affected by compensation cuts may sit tight right now, write out those cuts that they're experiencing, and they may even be further impacted on their compensation structures due to expected low billables for the year. But when opportunities open up again, talk to me about how law firms handled the crisis and the way in which they handled them could affect whether or not those attorneys stay put or go elsewhere. Oh gosh, I wish I could tell you how many calls and emails I get every day with people telling me exactly that, that they're sitting tight for right now, but mm -hmm. because of their low expected billables, that they're not in a position anymore that they wanna wait until the end of the year to make a move, that they'd be flexible to move even in November or December, which is usually not the case. They want to wait on those big bonuses at the beginning of December or maybe right at the turn of the year. These candidates are ready to get out of there. I think where we're gonna see the largest movement, I think, is in the large AMLA firms where they implemented layoffs and cuts very early, but they had mm -hmm. huge gains in past years. So where income there was you know, in the billions, but they decided to cut salaries by 20% as soon as they saw evidence of a downturn, when they probably could have weathered that storm. Because lawyers see that. Attorneys know how much they're billing out their work for and what kinds of cuts that they're taking. They see their colleagues with smaller firms not taking as serious cuts. They see um, you know, firms that are in smaller markets not making as severe cuts. And especially when people have considered potentially moving out of the larger markets previously, you know, your New York's, your Chicago's, your San Francisco's, when they wanted to maybe leave those markets, but the money was too good before, they are branching out to some of these smaller markets. I'm seeing a lot of movement here in Charlotte. I'm seeing a lot of interest in the Raleigh market. I'm seeing a lot of interest in the Virginia market and down in Atlanta. Right, very interesting. I'm going to switch gears again for a moment. Research indicates that for two-thirds of job seekers, they say that diversity is an important factor when considering companies and job offers. In an effort to assist law firms and in-house legal departments by allowing them to be a proverbial fly on the wall, for instance, when female attorneys or attorneys of color are negotiating with you, how do you help those candidates? determine whether or not a firm or a company that they may be considering asks you about their proven track record in mm -hmm. its commitment to diversity? What barometers I've, do you give them to consider from your perspective, again, as a recruiter? I tell them to consider the group that they interviewed with. Were women mm -hmm. among the decision makers? Did people of color take part? Were they senior members of the team? Is there diversity at all levels? or is racial and gender diversity only present among the staff and not the attorneys? And then to look at where the firm spends their money. Are they a sponsor of the Pride Parade? Are their attorneys afforded the latitude to take on pro bono cases? Where do you see them in the news? And I always right. encourage them to be frank with me. So candidates working with me, frankly, is one of the most important aspects of this job. It's one of the perks of working with a recruiter as well. But if you tell me what's important, 
I'll go out and I'll ask the hard questions and bring you back those answers so that we can make the best match possible. As you may recall, I spoke earlier about the issue of isolation and that it is real in a normal world for anyone. But due to the low representation of attorneys of color in the field, being sheltered and working remotely potentially creates a new layer of isolation for them. Again, in the interest of equipping law firms with tools during this unprecedented time, how can law firms help combat this? What roles can leadership play here? Again, from, from your perspective. This is so important right now. Leaders have an obligation to be leading here and making it clear that what used to be normal isn't necessarily normal anymore and maybe mm -hmm. shouldn't have ever been the norm, particularly with some of our larger law firms. We can plan meetings over the phone for nap time, like you and I are doing right now. I have three young kids and I said, hey, could we do this in the afternoon while my kids are asleep? <laughs> Those are the kinds of things that we need, working parents need for our leaders to be doing. We need to ask working parents of both sexes when is best and then follow through on that. And don't set the expectation as a leader that immediate email response is required. And the way that you do that is by not responding immediately yourself. And be respectful right. of meeting in with the understanding that in two parent homes where both parents work, there's probably a precarious balancing act going on right now where one parent is timing their call to be ending and the other is going to take over childcare and someone else will be starting something. And I guess my, my last little note is to chill with the Zoom calls. Required <laughs> FaceTime, was, it was pretty annoying in person I mean, a few months ago, and it's even worse now. So even if you think it's just for fun, it sometimes feels like a requirement. And one more bit of pressure is simply too much in these trying times. Right, right, great point. So for law firms who have had to lay off or terminate attorneys, due to the economic impact of COVID-19. And those decisions did disproportionately affect certain demographics. Again, as we've been talking about attorneys or women of color, for instance, let's go six to nine months down the road when those mm -hmm. organizations are trying to rebuild. Can you share a few guidelines for them in intentionally trying to attract more diverse candidates. Again, looking to that concept of opportunity here. Right. They have a tremendous opportunity, and I really don't want to downplay that, but I have four points that I'd really like to make. So one is highlight those workplace policies that are now more appealing to diverse candidates, like flexibility, work-life balance, telecommuting. I mean, this may be going on where we're all telecommuting for another couple of months. People are getting used to this and work is getting done. So recognize that candidates with children and disproportionately women will be particularly impacted by closures of schools and summer programs and that offering this flexibility makes your job more appealing. Uh, two, yes. the importance of using different sourcing methods. You really should bring in recruiters. And that's not just a shameless plug. <laughs> we can actually scour <laughs> sure. the market. We can in this and bring you a diverse set of candidates that you probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. It's proven right. that women are less likely than men to rely on their network, and they're more likely to search for jobs with the help of recruiters and on third-party websites, and you certainly want to capture those people. Um, Absolutely. 
leaning on your current attorneys for referrals may not be producing the diverse pool of candidates that you're going after. If you're going to stick to this method, then you certainly need to be sure to tap your diverse attorneys first and make it clear that you are looking at this with an eye towards diversity and that you want them to bring you resumes and leave that open for maybe two weeks before you start tapping other sources. Three, diverse interview panels. When you make diverse attorneys part of the hiring process, you not only increase their feelings of inclusion, but you put that on display for potential hires who should be looking for it throughout the entire interview process, whether they're diverse candidates themselves or not. Mm -hmm. uh, and four, make sure that you are tapping educational institutions with diverse student bodies instead of just sticking with a few elite law schools. Check out where you're going to OCIs. Make sure that that list is diverse and that maybe you're throwing in a couple of your local schools, uh, that you're throwing in some HBCUs, that maybe you're looking at some of the second tier, quote unquote, law schools that have high populations of diverse candidates because you are not scraping from the bottom of the barrel. You are actually finding candidates who have diverse perspectives and who honestly need the opportunity that was, was really taken away from them for the last 100 years or so in the legal practice. Fantastic points. And if I can just backtrack with respect to your third point, when, when we talk about diverse panels, uh, I will mm -hmm. just put a footnote that we are probably not just talking about race or gender, right, Kara? But schools, uh, to your point, all. countries of origin, pre-law mm -hmm. backgrounds, uh, yep. geography, since that broad kind of acquired and inherent diversity on a panel will naturally bring in a broader perspective to the entire evaluation <laughs> process, right? Absolutely. And even things as small as making sure that you're including even attorneys who work for you who have accents, things as small as that have made the difference yeah for candidates that I've worked with, make sure that you're including members of the LGBT community who can speak to affinity groups that you may have at your firm or what life is like there for an LGBT uh, community member. Excellent. What is your advice for minority attorneys and women so that they can either fortify their careers at current firms or be marketable and attractive to the clients that you serve in your matchmaking role? Well, if you love your firm and are in it for the long haul, take this time to find creative ways to enhance your online presence. And if your group is still very busy, offer to take on more if you're in a position to. Many people simply cannot take on one more thing on top of their regular family responsibilities at this point. And honestly, their mental health, they just can't take it on. So if you are one of the people who can, then feel free to go ahead and reach out and ask for additional responsibilities. If you're still employed, but the pandemic has exposed problems with your firm that you can't overlook, and now you wanna leave, stay until you find your next move. It's easier to get a job when you do have a job. And if you're no longer with your firm, feel free to take on contract work that aligns with what you want to be doing and continue to network on LinkedIn. I really cannot downplay the importance of making sure that your profile is up to date. People are online now more than ever, and recruiters like me are looking constantly. And although right. the law firm front has slowed down, the in-house world has picked up a good bit. And I think that they're really trying to capitalize off of some of the high quality law firm talent that is now just a little bit jaded with the law firm life or how they've been treated during this crisis. 
Might we see a lot of movement amongst the very members on the law firm side that we're talking about into uh, legal departments? Again, might that be a shift that we will see? I think there are a lot of big firm attorneys who are experiencing pay cuts right now who have finally said, oh, wow, that $40,000 that made the difference between taking on this great job that you know, didn't pay as much as I thought it should and this law firm job where I'm not really treated well has diminished. And now I want to go after the dream job. This time at home has also provided a lot of perspective for, for people to think about what really matters most for them and what works well for their families and their next steps. Right. I talked about biases a little earlier with Michelle. Kara, good intentions are not enough to overcome the biases that get in the way of hiring the best and most diverse candidates. As a recruiter, can you just speak briefly to the ways in which technology can actually be helpful in this area? Sure, I've seen software for screening resumes, and I have thought that sometimes that's helpful. It certainly is helpful to kind of cull down when you have a huge influx of resumes. But it was also created by people with biases, so I've never seen it exactly. really successfully implemented. The only things I've seen be truly successful at creating a diverse workforce are conducting OCI at HBCUs and some of the lower-ranked law schools, suspending some of those notions of law school prestige and branching out of the T14 and even the top 50 and making women and people of color equity partners in law firms. Right. Women right. and people of color seem to be much more willing to give others an opportunity to excel, even when the candidates don't necessarily fall in their group, whether that be being a woman or a person of color. They just seem more, on the whole, willing to give others an opportunity. And Kara, for the benefit of our listeners, OCI at HBCU, that, that's a mouthful. So just to make sure. <laughs> Sorry about that. So OCI is on-campus interviews. Law firms are usually in the practice of going to you know, universities and law firms around the country and conducting interviews on campus with rising 2Ls and 3Ls, and they make them job offers. And HBCU stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. So we just wanted to make sure that we translated <laughs> for, for any Sorry of our listeners that. who weren't necessarily <laughs> versed with, the, with those acronyms. <laughs> Thank you. Kiara, parting words of advice that you have for diverse members, members from traditionally underrepresented groups and women in the law firm industry right now. Right now, get your resume together and tap your network and see where you might want to move next. So partners already have their plans and recruiters have pivoted to including them in our outreach more than ever because there has been so much partner movement since the beginning of this crisis. They have the books of business they are marketable pretty much everywhere. Don't be the last person to go. I've seen this happen so many times with women and people of color and diverse members of law firms where there seems to be, um, I don't know if I would call it loyalty, but certainly more of an appreciation for the job and somebody having given them a chance when you were certainly deserving of that chance just as much as the next person. So don't feel like you're stuck. And along with being stuck, if you do feel like you're in a niche that you don't like, this is a great opportunity to reinvent yourself. And the law firms that are being smart 
we'll be seeking you out. So make sure that, you, that your LinkedIn profile is up to date and that your resume is prepared. So, Kara, I'm going to put, put you in a bit of a conflict of interest when I ask you the flip side of this question. <laughs> what parting okay. words of advice, okay, what parting words of advice can you provide to law firms who don't want to lose the very talent that you have just spoken to uh, in, in part A of this question? Retention. Mm -hmm. What can they do? My advice to them is to be flexible. That is the most important advice I can give to law firms right now. I know it doesn't come naturally to us as lawyers most often, but offering flexible work from home schedules that don't ding advancement opportunities is the best way to retain that talent right now while everybody is trying to work out what their new normal looks like. And for firms that maybe hadn't made the strides in DNI that they'd hoped to, don't drop the ball when you have the perfect opportunity to start from scratch and do what you should have been doing all along. Hiring diverse candidates, promoting diverse candidates, listening to diverse voices when they come to you about ways that a law firm maybe can more creatively move forward or the kinds of clients that you can potentially bring on. Be flexible with what your book of business could look like, even if that's not what it looked like maybe two to three months ago. Kiara Harlow, your perspective has lent an invaluable voice to this conversation, and we have gotten a bird's eye view into both sides of your matchmaking relationships <laughs> and what you tell <laughs> both entities. And for that, we thank you. I thank you for being a part of this program. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I'm hoping that both candidates and law firms are listening carefully. I'm sure they are. Thank you, Kiara. Thank you. I do hope you have appreciated this podcast. Please feel free to reach out to us at podcast at littler.com if you should have any questions about this episode or if you would like to discuss any component of your organization's needs with me or another Littler attorney. Thanks for listening. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.